Well, good morning. So glad you're here. We have a really great turnout for what I expected. I didn't know really what to expect. We had a full house Friday night. Wasn't that fun Friday night? That was a lot of fun, the comedy night. Tonight we've got the youth auction, but things are a little different today. The offering is going to be collected the uh, back in, in boxes when you're leaving. We didn't do a meet and greet, shaking hands. We're doing the, the toe clapping thing, and we are live streaming. So hi, everyone that's watching uh, online. So it's a little different, uh, but it's still the same, Pastor Pete. And I thought we'd start with something light and easy since this is going out to the World Wide Web. Just a light, easy, breezy kind of passage. Revelation 13, the mark of the beast, 666. What do you think? We're up for that? So uh, for you watching at home, this is a warning. This sermon is rated E for explicit gospel preaching. So if you're not for that, change the channel. But for the rest of us, to honor God's word, part of our tradition at Maple Valley Church, we stand to honor God's word. So will you please stand as we read? If you're able to stand, let's stand together. Go, go ahead, stand up at home. We're waiting. Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 to 18. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all authority of the first beast in its presence. and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the beast, the image of the beast, to be slain. Also, it calls all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. With the one who understand, the one who has understanding. Calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Please be seated. In Revelation chapter 13, we're seeing dark spiritual power at work, trying everything it can to destroy the kingdom of God, and the people of God. And the message we're hearing is quite clear. If you miss everything else, it's this. The devil will try to do everything he can to trip you up so you don't follow Jesus. And the attacks that we're seeing here in chapter 13, it's, it's asymmetric warfare. Two forces, the, the force of darkness and the force of heaven, are so massively unequal in size and power the, the difference is so extreme, the resources to both sides is so wide a gap that it relies on guerrilla tactics. Attack, pull back. Trip up, move back. Set wires and traps for people and then retreat and hide in the darkness. 
That's what John is seeing in this vision here. How Christians even can be duped into believing a lie. And so Revelation chapter 13 is teaching us Satan wins hearts and minds by making an emotional appeal, by, by manipulating people, swaying them to bow a knee, to get in bed, and to follow the evil one, the father of lies. That's what John is seeing in this vision, and that's what he's warning believers against. So last week, so I know this is a pretty trippy if you're here for the first, first time or watching online, we're in Revelation 13, okay, but we're over halfway through it, so just jump in with me. Last week, we learned of a, a sea monster. Now remember, every sign that we see in this book points to a greater reality. The sea monster, that, this monster that comes out of the sea, it, it represents political and military power. It's called forth, and it seeks to replace God as first in our life. And I reminded, I reminded us last week that as an application, we really need to hold lightly our allegiance to any type of political movement or any type of citizenship when we have Christ who needs to be number one in our life and our citizenship in heaven needs to be our first allegiance. Amen? That was the message of last week. Why? Because in the first half of, of Revelation 13, the, the nation state, the emperor, the empire is the Antichrist trying to play God, trying to take the place of the one true Savior. And, and John sees that its names are written, things that are written on this are blasphemous against God. What would that mean? It would mean this Antichrist is taking the place of God. Come to me. I'll provide for you. I'll be your resource, your rescue, your salvation. These are the same tactics of spiritual warfare that we looked at in the very first chapters, chapters 2 and 3, that John was seeing and, and recording the, the testimony of Jesus, the testimony of Jesus through John to those seven churches. Remember where John is when he has this vision. He's in the middle of nowhere in the Aegean Sea on a pile of rocks called Patmos. He's there as a political refugee, and he's there left by the emperor to rot and die when he has this vision of this first beast coming up from out of the water, representing all the chaos in the world. And John sees, we said, an unholy trinity. We have the dragon who represents Satan, who calls forth these two beasts, and they, they mimic the holy trinity. And so uh, the, the father is mimicked by the dragon, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. The, the dragon, Satan, mimics God the father, the sea beast, a.k.a. the Antichrist, mimics God the Son. What about the one we see today from the earth? Literally coming from, from the earth, from the dust. This monster mimics the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the text. Let's look at verse 11 and following. It says that this beast that represents something greater that we'll look at in just a moment it says it has two horns like a lamb. And horn, that symbol of horn, we talked about this before, is a representative, representative of strength. Jesus has seven horns. Seven is the complete number, perfect number. He has all strength. But this animal has only two. So what are we talking about? Well, we have to think about well, we have to think about the numbers again. Remember, these numbers are very significant. They have meaning within them 
pointing us to a greater reality, trying to draw our attention in a great way. And so where would we find the number two relevant in the passages we've already looked at? You can look to Revelation chapter 11. John sees there two witnesses, two lampstands, and two olive trees. I almost called the sermon beast mode, but I thought that might offend some fans of, of Marshawn, and, and we love Marshawn, right? But, but this beast mode is mimicking, not Jesus, but mimicking the witness of the church, and by extension, the Holy Spirit. It's, it's the Spirit who calls us together and calls us to life, and on live stream or in person to, to have fellowship and to draw together, to bond together, to care for one another in the love and bond we have in Christ, and then to turn all that love and affection, that attention to Christ in, in worship, and to God in worship, our Father. And so here we have a beast with two horns, because it's a different type of witness. It's pointing people not to worship the one true God, but to bow knee and get in bed and worship the empire or the emperor, that first beast. It deceives, it says, with signs and wonders. Look at verse 13. Quote, it says, it performs great signs, even making fire. This this fake prophet tries to copy the signs and works of the real prophets. I'm talking about the greatest of all time, the goats. We're talking about Moses and Elijah. When, when Moses spoke, it was like straight from God through Moses to the people, like fire coming down. Elijah literally prayed and called down fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. Somehow this fake We'll learn later, false prophet has the same ability. And, and it's doing a really good job, apparently, according to the text. Deceiving all kinds of people. We're talking about grade A, minister of propaganda, Joseph Goebbels type, uh, world propagation and manipulation. A true prophet leads people to worship God and all the rest lead people to worship anything that is not God. Be that the state, be that a leader, and in this case, behind the scenes, pulling the strings, Satan himself. That's what John sees. He sees that and he wants you and me to see political power hyped up by civic religious zeal as an enemy of Christianity. So, so, Bad religion that's boosting up a bad state that's moved out from under the authority that God's given it and now says, no, we don't need you anymore, God. We will be God to the people is an enemy of true believers. The second beast identified, as I mentioned, false prophet, if you're taking notes, uh, that's in Revelation 16, 19, and chapter 20. And Jesus warned his first followers about false prophets and fake messiahs. He says in in Matthew 7, he says they will come like wolves dressed how? Like what? In sheep's clothing to deceive the people and lead them astray. And that's actually happening at this time when John is recording these visions in Revelation. Throughout Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, throughout that, that whole region, the seven cities where these 
churches that we find in chapters 2 and, and 3, these seven churches in those towns, religious leaders were the biggest proponents of building temples to the emperor. I mean, everybody was lining up. Everybody, take a number. We want to be first. We want to build the biggest. We're going to tax the people to build the best temple to the emperor. And it was the religious leaders in those communities that were seeing the great opportunity to draw what? Attention, commerce to their town, to their city. Civic pride. It was happening there. The citizens were abuzz with emperor worship to build the best temple to Caesar. And it's found in all seven of those communities. Religious power gave life to the worship of the state. Matthew 24, verse 24. Jesus says, false messiahs and false prophets will appear. And when is he talking about? Matthew 24, he's talking about the end times. These very times we live in, false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, Jesus says, even to deceive the elect, that is God's chosen ones. By the end of the first uh, century, all these cities addressed in this letter had dedicated a temple to emperor worship and worship. Look at verse 15. It says, it it was also loud. It was given this authority from from Satan who has a limited amount of authority, but what he's got, he he gives to this false prophet the ability to breathe life into the beast. So this, again, think of propaganda. This This third entity in this unholy trinity is breathing life into worship of number two, the Antichrist. They wanted to give breath to it. And get this, historians actually have records and have found evidence in the ancient world of historical evidence of hidden polis and ventriloquism used to mimic. And so idols could move a little bit and, ah, look over here, I'm talking to you. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Have you ever seen a deep fake? Do you know what that is? When they take a video of someone prominent and they can now change and manipulate The more things change, the more they remain the same. And just as Daniel warned, later day deceivers would infiltrate the covenant community. He says that in Daniel chapter 11, verses 30 to 39. He says, they will infiltrate the covenant community to turn people away from God. Just as Jesus warned his first disciples, and those disciples became apostles, and they warned the church. Here John sees a vision of the same message again. The bad religion is an enemy of good discipleship. That's what we saw when we studied uh, Ephesus and Thyatira, how they were allowing false teachers to creep in. They were compromising to them. They were allowing them to infiltrate, kind of sneak in. They said, well, this isn't bad. We can have differing views and differing opinions. And John was seeing how this played out, and how it's decaying good discipleship. And it can be summed up in that one word I've repeated a couple times. The word is compromise. And it goes something like this. Here's the message of the compromise. Follow Jesus if you like. As long as you keep it private, 
so long as you comply with the system. As long as what you do in, in private is your own business and you keep it to yourself, but when you're out in public, you abide by our rules, everything will be okay for the public good. So keep your germs, your, your Jesus virus, behind closed doors. Don't come out for a couple of weeks. You see, I'm trying to make this relatable to us. Okay, look at verse 16 and 17. It says, Also it caused all, both small and great, rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the, the right hand or the forehead, the hand that our operative getting out there and working in our forehead where we think, so that no one could buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. What does that mean? It means fall in line, take a knee, or at the very least, keep your mouth shut and everything will be okay. Drop that coin in the temple worship and just say a quick prayer for Caesar. Hail Caesar. And everything will be fine. Otherwise, you risk losing everything. Can we relate to that, what was happening in the first century? The idea of being wiped out financially if you didn't abide by what the culture of the society around you was saying, what everyone was falling in line apparently to do? Can we relate to the, the idea of someone getting a knock on the door in the middle of the night and the door being busted in and a loved one being snatched away never to see them again? Well, I dare say not here in Washington State, but how does this play out in the 21st century? Brothers and sisters around the world who are facing this type of persecution. What possible much more subtle ways is the enemy infiltrating and leaving his mark on you, on me, on our kids. Look at verse 18. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, the number, here it is, 666. Listen, it's going to take wisdom, not a calculator, not a decoder ring, it's going to take wisdom to understand what the mark of the beast 666 means. Remember I said about the unholy trinity, and I said how the evil one in his upside-down down world is mimicking the true holy trinity, and in every way trying to operate in a shadow of the true thing. And Jesus says, uh, it, we, we learn in Revelation 7, we looked at this, that Jesus puts a seal on his people, and next week, when David preaches, we're going to look at chapter 14, and we're going to see that that, that seal, that, that mark, is the name of, of Jesus Christ, the Son, and God the Father. And what does that mean? What are we talking about when we talk about a mark? Are we talking about a tattoo? A literal tattoo? Or, or, or a brand? That's, that's not what I think is, is happening here. Well, maybe in some other context, we can talk about tattoos, and I can tell you, they don't tickle if you're wondering how they feel. This is the mark of his name on a person. What does it mean? A name represents a person's character. 
In the ancient world, the name that you had, or maybe a name that you chose, we think about someone taking on a Christian name, maybe they, they leave their old name behind and they take on a new name, that practice still happens. That name would represent the character traits, the, the attributes of who that person is. So to have the mark or the seal of someone on you means that character is shown in your life. So what is the mark? What is the seal of Jesus Christ? To have his mark on us and the the input of the Holy Spirit in our lives. What do we know, friends? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Have we got all? Goodness and self-control. These are the marks. These are the markings. We're not talking about, we're not talking about a physical marker or branding, and we're not talking about a microchip under your skin. <laughs> it's the same with the mark of the beast. Only this mark is much more painful and leaves a deeper scar and goes deeper than skin deep. Can a person scarred, marked by this world be redeemed? Can it be removed? Yes, yes, amen, right? That's that's what we're here for. And that's the hope that we have, that we still have time to to see that change happen. Praise God. But it's not a tattoo or a brand or, or a microchip under your skin. It's deeper. It's the character implanted in in people's lives that leaves scar tissue. It causes people to cover up their shame. It causes people to live in fear of their neighbor. Living in fear is half a life. It causes people that are seeking, they're they're seeking an answer. There's got to be more to this world. There's got to be more about something divine, something more to this life, something more of, of love than just feeling like I'm a commodity, I'm being used by people around me, and they won't find it until they find Jesus. That's the mark of the beast. So what does the number 666 stand for? What does it really mean? There are all kinds of popular books that have Bible codes and decoder rings and way more followers than I or we will ever have a lot more ink spilled and a lot more interest found and, and movies and all the rest about what that might mean around decoding these numbers. I think it's something deeper. And actually, it's something much more relevant. I think that's, those things can actually lead us astray and say, well, the problem's over there. It's not right here. It's not in my own house. Now, there, there is one legitimate concept that, that's been around for a long time of understanding the numbers in the Bible. Gematria, uh, spelled G-E-M-A-T-R-I-A. Gematria, Gematria. Uh, ancient times, letters of the alphabet were substituted for uh, numerals. So a letter would equal a number. So A equals 1, B equals 2, C equals 3, S equals 100, and so forth. And, and so very smart people, way smarter than me, have looked at Scripture, and they've, they've done all sorts of, honestly, crazy calculations to come up with names that equal 666. And the most popular concept at the time was that, that this must be pointing to Nero, 
that Nero Caesar must equal 666. Yeah, if you twist the, the Hebrew and the Greek and you go back this way and that, and you, I mean, you really have to break it down to get that name. It's not going to work. And throughout two millennia, sorry, I'm sorry, students. I want to apologize right now for that. I really, I apologize. Throughout two millennia, uh, leaders have tried to find a name. Oh, here's who it is. Here's who it is. Oh, it's definitely that guy. That's the Antichrist. I mean, the, the false prophet. But I ask you, have we seen in our study in Revelation that any number is to be taken literally? Or are they all meant to be taken figuratively, symbolically, that it's a sign pointing to a greater reality? What have we seen so far? Does Jesus, our Lord and Savior, literally have seven horns and seven eyes? I don't want to read that bedtime story. It's symbolic. Is it literally only 144,000 people will be uh, the chosen ones and saved? That's what our our dear uh, friends, the Jehovah Witnesses, think. That's a a cult in South Korea that has an over-realized eschatology right now with a leader saying he is the Messiah and he'll choose, he'll handpick the 144,000. Is that to be taken literally for the church or the 24 elders or the three and a half years or the, the two witnesses and on and on? No, these are signs pointing to a greater reality. So how could that not be true also for this number? That it's pointing to something greater and larger than some kind of decoder ring, uh, look for a boogeyman under your carpet. No, it's, it's not a code to be broken. It's a symbol to be understood. It's not a code to be broken. You don't have to be a mathematician. And no one at that time, as far as I know, had a calculator, but they had wisdom of the ages. It came from the word of God to understand the times. Look again at the text. John writes, it's a number of a man, not a specific man, a man, human This beast is a superhuman force on earth. Let me explain. I'll do a little bit of math, just a little bit, okay? Oakland Public Schools, ready? Six is one less seven. Oh, yeah. And seven is the number of completeness and holiness, completeness. So six is one less than completeness. Completeness. Six is the number of that is incomplete. It's a number that will always fall short of God. It's a number that represents anything that will fall short of the glory of God. And who falls short of the glory of God, according to Romans 3? All of us, everybody. Because why? Because we're all human. When did God create man? On the sixth day. God created Adam and Eve on the sixth day, but creation wasn't over yet, was it? When was it over? On the seventh day, he created humans out of the dust of the earth, but creation wasn't complete until the day God rested, celebrated in that completeness, and had these new creatures there to enjoy his fellowship. The number of six always shows up short. It always spells trouble when we try to reach out We will fail without God's grace. What's a world without God's grace? 
Well, we've had the, the uh, seven, uh, we've had the sixth seal and the sixth trumpet, and we're going to look at the sixth bowl. And each of those judgments that's sort of different perspectives on the same judgment, the sixth in each series, it's no bueno. You talk about you want fire and brimstone, look at the sixes in Revelation. That's where you're going to get fire and brimstone. It's judgment because it's life apart from God's grace. It's falling short of God's grace. But the seventh in each series always includes the kingdom. Do you hear that? Are you following me? Are you tracking with me? Okay. John's already told us that the Holy Spirit is complete and perfect. That's why he references the Holy Spirit as seven spirits. And we had to, we had to deal with that one early on in our series, that it's not literally seven spirits, but that the Holy Spirit, the one Holy Spirit is complete in God. Revelation 1, 4, 3, 1, 5, 6. The Holy Spirit is complete and perfect. This beast of the earth is mimicking the Holy Spirit, but never measures up. The best the beast can do is a six. The beast of the earth will always fall short. It can never replace the real deal. And so what John is recording for us here is that if we wisely resist the false prophet wooing us to compromise our faith, looking so good from far, but far from good, can do all sorts of wondrous things, if we're wooed by that, we won't have God's grace. But if we stand firm with endurance and faith, the first half of the chapter, and with wisdom, endurance, faith, and wisdom, we will conquer That's what John's teaching us here. Listen, he's saying civic religion, turning the secular into the sacred, being thrilled by the spirit of the age is fundamentally opposed to the grace of God. It will always fall short. And it all came together on the sixth day 2,000 years ago. The sixth day of the week on Friday. On Good Friday. And on that day in the sixth hour, on the sixth day of the week, Mark 15, 33 records, at that hour, darkness covered the whole earth. It was on that day and at that hour that the dragon manipulated political powers personified in Pilate, and the manipulated religious powers personified by Caiaphas had Jesus crucified. Three times, three times Pilate, the Antichrist, said, I find no guilt in him. But what did the beast do? He built him up. Come on. He was building him up. He was breathing life into it. The beast from the earth gave breath to the beast of the sea. Pilate stood Jesus in front of all the religious leaders and says, behold your king. What's he saying? I I don't want to do this. My wife had a vision. This is not going to go well. Behold your king. And what did all the religious leaders say? We have no king but Caesar. John 19, verse 15. The beast can perform signs and wonders. It can gain a lot of attentions and likes. It can create a whole lot of buzz, but don't believe the hype. 
Don't be duped. All that glitters is not gold. Not everything that, that looks precious or special turns out to be so. Any message that says, just look at what's happening. It's so exciting. Look at that. Check this out. Come on, everything's changing. Don't believe the hype. John's told us already that we need faith, endurance, and wisdom. My friends, here's the application. Don't believe the hype. Number two, guard against false teaching. Don't be led astray. Hold to the unchanging message of the gospel, that explicit gospel, in an ever-changing world. We're going to need to learn how to share the gospel and the good news in new and different ways. Here we are online for the first time. New and different ways. New and different vocabulary. We need to be influenced by a, a multinational church, a church that we have brothers and sisters around this globe, new people moving to this community. We need to listen to them. How, how did you find Jesus? What was your experience of Christ and bring that to bear. I can remember this is a really aside. Hold on, we're almost there, folks that are online. When I was in seminary, I had the privilege of meeting many, many pastors uh, from West Africa and, and from, from East Africa as well, but mostly West Africa. And you know when they see Calvary, when they see Good Friday, you know what they focus in on? As Westerners, most of us would focus in on the pain, the suffering of Christ on the cross. But they gave me a whole new perspective. They said, he was abandoned by his people. It's just a whole different mindset of the power of community, the power of the, the collective for those uh, African brothers and sisters, for our Korean brothers and sisters who were there to really, oh, I didn't think about it that way. But the message itself does not change. The greatest threat to the health and flourishing of the church is a virus, just so you can really remember it. I've done really good not touching my face or hands. I'm touching, I preach with my hands, but I'm not touching my face. It's a virus like the current one with, with one fancy name and one name that everyone knows and can remember easily. Idolatry, it's a fancy word, but it just means putting anything above or next to or alongside your allegiance to Christ and compromise. So we don't need a calculator or a decoder ring we need to be fully informed by God's word. That's the source of wisdom, to be fully informed by God's word. Be on guard, Jesus said, Mark 13, 23. If you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, he must have your ultimate vote of confidence for this life and the life to come. And then you will know you will overcome. Why? Because he already did 2,000 years ago. Signed, sealed, delivered, paid for. You cling to him. You cling to that truth. You don't allow anything to move you from that. Even as the Spirit moves us into all places in life that if you trust in Jesus, he will take you. If you pray that prayer, God, send me wherever you want me to go. Oh, my goodness. The places you will go, the things you will see, and yet you will never move from his presence because he's got you. He will never let go of your hand. Say, oh, I'm, I'm, I need some hand sanitizer, Jesus. Let's just do the, the Wu-Tan. No, no. Father's arms are open wide. And he says, come, come in. Let's pray. So, Lord, that's the victory that we want to have and experience, Lord. And in this quiet moment of prayer, uh, we might be a little bit distracted right now. Turn our attention, Lord, to what you're saying to us through this message. That we might consider the things that influence us so deeply and, and how in so many ways we just buy into 
the things that the culture says to us, uh, that little box in our pocket telling us what to think, what to say, how to dress. Lord God, we pray that we would not be marked by those things, that the evil one wouldn't have our number, but that we would be wholly yours. We pray this in your name.